fastest way to make sure you, you uh, misunderstand someone is to, su to uh, suppose that you know the definition of every word that they're using, especially if it's somebody you've never met before. And especially if they are speaking in a dialect or a language you don't know very well. Um, I've been to other parts of this country that we live in, the United States. They, they, there are places where they do not speak like us. I know that when I moved to Bay City, um, well, not quite three decades ago, almost, yeah, almost three decades ago, I, I received quite a bit of ribbing from my southern accent. <laughs> now, I really didn't think that people in Indiana had a southern accent. But apparently we do. But then I want you to know that if you want a real southern accent, you just go south of the Ohio River. And then you go down... The people in Kentucky will tell you, no, we don't have a southern accent. You need to go to Tennessee. And the people in Tennessee will say, no, 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 no. The real hillbillies are in Georgia. And I don't know what they do from there because, you know, pretty soon all that's left is the Gulf of Mexico. And it's the dolphins out there. And what is, I don't know what <laughs> dialect they have. Uh, you know, it's just, what do you do? Sometimes, I've been in places where they were speaking. I remember the first time I heard it. I think I shared this last week. The first time I heard of somebody from the Upper Peninsula. I was living in Wisconsin. I remember the, when I moved to Wisconsin, boy, did I uh, uh, get a, a lesson in how to pronounce the name of that state. And I'm still not sure that I say it correctly. Uh, I, in fact, every time I say it, I hear people laughing in the back of my head. I, this could be wrong. Uh, I had to, I, when my first time I heard a youper a, a, a in when I was in Wisconsin, I figured out that if you just learn how to filter out the A's and the dares, you can understand them. Uh, it, it's almost like talking to people from Canada, eh? Uh, words. Though even even when they, you do this dialects and filter out things and unfortunately words in different times and places have different meanings and we can assume we know what it, this word means because we've been told this this word means this uh, but it may not have meant that to the people who heard it for the very first time the records of Jesus life and ministry use ancient words from his Jewish heritage and from the life of people in the Roman Empire in the first century. And uh, we need to understand those words the way they understood those words so that we can understand what they were telling us about Jesus. Today, uh, today our reading is from Mark chapter 1. We're going to read the first 15 verses of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. There's, a, there's a, a word or a term 
that shows up a couple of times in these verses that I think is important for us to dig into, and we're going to do that this morning. The beginning, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the good news, or the gospel, about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in the Messiah, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. And this was his message. After, he, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pause for a moment in the middle of this reading and just do a little commentary on John. John was plunging people who came to him in the, in the wilderness in the water of the River Jordan as they confessed their sins. And we need to understand what the, was going on here. This wasn't just a symbolic uh, cleansing for individual people, uh, which is kind of the way we often interpret baptism. Uh, this is a sign that God was getting ready to do a whole new thing in history. And that's the way they understood it, that this God was about to do something new in history for Israel and for the whole world. Over a thousand years before this, the people of Israel, the children of Israel, had crossed the Jordan River when they had first entered the Promised Land, the land that had been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and had been promised to them, and they had left Egypt, and now they're coming to conquer the land, and now they had to go through that same river again as a sign that they were getting ready for another conquest, a greater conquest, God is going to defeat all evil and establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The conquest, however, is going to be on a different level than what they're expecting. This is part of the confusion that Jesus brings. That's, that's a teaser. That's a hint of trouble about to come. Jesus shows up, his conquest to conquer evil and establish God's kingdom doesn't come the way they're expecting. But they're all wanting to get ready. We have the perspective of hindsight. 2,000 years later, we can look back and hindsight is better than foresight. Somebody say that, right? Right. Uh, even though Jesus won the decisive battle with his death and resurrection over evil, God's kingdom is still coming to earth. It's here, and it, but it's still coming. Evil's been conquered, but it's still being conquered, right? God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven comes every time an individual, a person learns from the Holy Spirit 
not only to recognize themselves and their need for Jesus, but Jesus, who Jesus is and how he can meet their needs and set them free. God's kingdom grows every time a person says yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit dwells in their soul by faith and Jesus reigns in their heart by love. Now the person's transformed and that happens all the time, all around the world. God's kingdom is continually growing one person at a time, constantly, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, God's kingdom is growing. So the question is, why are these people confessing their sins? I mean, these are all the people. It says all the people from Judea and all the people from Jerusalem. Most of these people would have been good, decent, God-fearing people. You know, it didn't say all the dirty riffraff of society was showing up going, man, we're terrible. John baptizes. He said, all the people. So these are good, God-fearing, decent people. Why are they showing up? Well, we just finished the holidays. And some of you know this principle. Uh, in your house, there's clean enough for us. <laughs> And then there's clean enough for company. You know, in, in our lives, there's clean enough for us. And then there's clean enough for God to show up. The Jewish people, even the devout Jewish people who worship regularly in the temple and were praying and fasting and asking for God's kingdom to come, knew deep in themselves that they weren't ready for God to show up again. The prophets, though, had told them that God would come back when his people repented, and turned and confessed their sins and turned to him with all their hearts. And this is what John is calling them to do. And so they are showing up in droves, saying, we're ready. We want to be ready. We want to clean up. We want to be, we're not, we're done being just good enough for us. We want to be good enough for you to show up, God. That's what's going on in the Jordan River. Okay? So that thing brings us to verse 9. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. At that time, as all these people are showing up, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him. Another way to, for that to be translated is the Spirit drove him out into the desert. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals. And angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near Repent and believe in the good news. That last verse, the Passion translates it this way. Jesus' message was this. At the last, at last, the fulfillment of the age has come. 
It is time for God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. Turn your lives back to God and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. Turn back. Turn back. I can't read those words without remembering something that happened to me years ago. Now, uh, several years ago, I drove a rental truck to take Nikki's belongings to her new apartment in the Detroit metro area. Uh, I just love driving big trucks. <laughs> Not true. That's irony. Uh, I just love driving big trucks in Detroit. Definitely not true. Stresses me out. Uh, I'm driving. I'm driving this truck. It was years ago. I did not have GPS on my phone. I had the map printed out in the good old-fashioned way. I knew I was headed for Ann Arbor Road. That's where apartment was off of Ann Arbor Road. I, I was driving down the interstate. I saw a sign that said, Ann Arbor. <laughs> oh, okay. So I took the exit west toward the city of Ann Arbor, but Nikki's apartment was east of the interstate on Ann Arbor Road, like two or three of our exits south. So I suddenly realized I'm on the interstate headed toward the city of Ann Arbor, away from Detroit. Now what you gonna do? <laughs> Life lesson number one, when you're in a rental truck, headed toward Ann Arbor when you're supposed to be going toward Detroit. You need to turn around. And occasionally in life, the Holy Spirit will point out that I've been going in the wrong direction. When I thought I made the right turn, he points out to me, whoops, you made a wrong turn. You're headed the wrong way. Turn around. Turn back. Life lesson number two. When I find out I'm headed in the wrong the wrong way, I have to decide what to do. You know what it's like to be on the interstate and take an exit. You only yeah, you, I have taken many an exit thinking I'm gonna get off here, I'm gonna pull up, go across, and come back on, only to pull up, go across, and find out. There's no ramp to get back on on the other side. You're now on a country road that goes to nowhere. So I pulled off the ramp, got up there, holding my breath nearly all the way across and praying, oh Lord, please let there be a ramp. Yes, thankfully there was a ramp. But you don't always know. It's not enough to regret the error of your ways. It's not enough to go, oh, I'm so sorry, Nikki, I turned toward Ann Arbor. I'm going to drop your stuff off at U of M. I hope you can find it. <laughs> That's not enough to go, I'm sorry. You got to turn around. 
to turn or not to turn? That was my question. And I, that's like lesson number three. Turning around isn't always easy or comfortable. Uh, and you show up late sometimes. Uh, you don't always know how it's going to turn out. It's going to be humbling. Uh, but turning around is really the only reasonable response when you realize I'm going the wrong direction. When it's nuts. That's a clinical term. Yeah. It's nuts to keep going the wrong direction when you know you're going the wrong direction. Somebody once said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting to get different results. It would have been insane for me to keep driving west toward Ann Arbor thinking somehow I'm going to end up in Detroit. Yeah. Jesus and John, and John both reached the same message. It went like this, repent. Turn around. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what is repentance? We, repentance is more than we usually think it is. We usually think repentance is something like this. Feeling bad about something we did and saying I'm sorry. Sometimes we just think it's feeling bad. But repentance is more than, so much more than that. It's more, it's more than a duty. It's a gift that God gives us. Jesus seeks us like a shepherd seeks lost sheep. The spirit pursues us, as the poet has put it, like a hound out on a hunt for a lost child. And some people tend to approach repentance like it's an obligation that we have to fulfill to somehow gain God's acceptance and his approval. But actually the invitation to turn around and to turn back to God is his gift of love to us. He could just go, go on. You want to go that way? Go that way. Bye-bye. That's never been his approach because he's a God of love and mercy and compassion. He's always been the one who's been go on, turn around, come back. Not calling us to a duty, but giving us a gift of the opportunity to return. <clears throat> Repentance is more than a feeling. It is a direction. We, we often think that repent is the feeling bad about what we did, or even worse, feeling bad about ourselves. We just beat ourselves up bad enough. We shame ourselves and guilt ourselves enough uh, that, that we, we've repented. But, but repentance is changing direction. Turn around and go the other way. Come back. Turn back. How you feel is, isn't really the important thing. It's not that it's not important. But by itself, it's meaningless. What you do is what matters. I could have felt really bad about heading toward Ann Arbor all the way to California. <laughs> it wouldn't have done a lick of good. 
When you're going the wrong way, the only thing you can do is turn around. Feeling bad about without changing direction is the definition of miserable. Regret that leads to changing direction is actually the essence of repentance. We avoid repentance. A lot of us thinking that it means feeling bad about ourselves. Well, I'm not going to be done. No, 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 no. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. No, you're not. Oh, sorry. Somebody's got to help us understand that. We're not okay. But repentance isn't just about feeling bad. Repentance is ultimately feeling like coming home to where we belong. One of my favorite stories that Jesus ever told was about a boy who ran away from home and woke up in a pig pen thinking, you know, even the slaves at dad's house are better off than I am. I'm going home. That's called turning back. And he was welcomed home with a party. Gotta think that feels a whole lot better than fighting pigs for slop. Repentance is more than feeling bad about ourselves. It's about moving back toward God and feeling like we're coming home and being closer to Jesus, the one who loves us more than we could ever imagine. Repentance is more than an event. It's a lifelong quest. So one of the crucial thresholds that we all need to cross in our journey of faith is from being closed to change to being open to change in our lives. Whenever we think that we don't need to change or that we've changed enough, then we slam the brakes on God's work of renewal and restoration in our lives. I'm good enough. A lot of us tend to think that <clears throat> repentance is a once-in-a-lifetime event. You know, I, I realize I'm a sinner. Oh, God, I'm sorry. He's forgiven me. Ah, got that over with. But God calls us to a lifestyle of repentance, a lifestyle of recognizing that our brokenness, uh, what theologians call sinfulness, reaches every single layer of our lives. It saturates who we are. And his Jesus healing love and his renewing grace waits, they wait for us to admit that we need to be transformed and changed. 
And so here's the sermon and the sentence for today. I want you to remember this. God's invitation still echoes in our hearts. Turn and come home. It always will echo in our hearts. Turn and come home. As long as we're in this world, he's going to be calling us to turn. Because there's clean enough for us and then there's clean enough for him. There's whole enough for us and then there's whole enough for him. And he's, he's not going to be satisfied until we're holy. You can spell that two ways. H-O-L-Y or W-H-O-L. Yeah, however else. E-E-L-Y, I think that's how that goes. Uh, he's not going to, until we're like him, until we're all the way, the way he, he created us to be, completely like that. And so as long as there's some brokenness left in us, he's going to be saying, come on, turn, come back home in this area of your life. That's why we need to keep turning toward God as we follow Jesus. You see, we have a problem. Jesus described it this way. Later in the book of Mark, he says, what comes out of a person's mouth defiles them. For within, out of a, the human heart, come evil ideas, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, evil, deceit, debauchery, envy, slander, pride, and folly. All these evils come from within and defile a person. Our culture tells us, our society tells us that we're born little white, you know, little blank slates and that all that crap, I mean, all that stuff gets stuffed into us. We are born broken. And then more brokenness gets dumped on us and into us. We are born, you know, you heard the old saying, if, if you're carrying a cup of coffee and someone bumps you, the coffee's going to splash out. We're born a full cup of coffee and then people dump more coffee in it. So that Every time somebody bumps us, more coffee bumps, comes out. It's just the way we are. We should not be surprised. That's what Jesus says. Out of our hearts come all this stuff. It's not thrown onto us. It's in us. Another passage of Scripture describes it this way. That, that God gave us over to a depraved mind. We are filled with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, and malice. We are rife with envy, murder, strife, deceit, hostility. We are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, contrivers of all sorts of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, promise breakers, heartless, and ruthless. Now, I know people who've read these, these things and gone, well, I'm not that, so it must not be talking about me. I'm not, I don't hate God, so this must be talking about somebody else. 
No, you don't hate God, so that particular trait doesn't belong to you. But some of the others, believe me, if I have yet to meet somebody who can say they never disobeyed their parents. And if they do, I'm pretty sure they fall under the, the, under the category of never being able to tell the truth. Or they have bad memory. Either way, they're living in denial, right? See, that's our problem. None of us can think right morally. None of us can think right morally. Not just some of us, not just most of us, not just a certain group of people. All of us are warped and twisted and broken, and we all need help. We all need help. And God's invitation will always echo in our hearts, turn and come home. Help me. Let me fix this. Let me heal this. Because that's his solution. God has a solution for us. He says, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. <clears throat> he wants to work on the inside to fix us, to change the way we think so that we may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. See, the pro fundamental pro nature of our problem is that anything that causes us to withhold giving ourselves to God, to make an offering of ourselves to God, is what it means to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Anything that keeps us from giving ourselves to God, that's the root, that's the problem, that's the issue. There's only one reason we would not give ourselves to him. We don't trust him. Well, I trust God. Well, the next time he taps you on the shoulder and says, I want you to come home in this area of your life. How fast you say yes determines, is an excellent measure of how deep your trust is. An excellent measure of my trust. If my immediate answer is yes, then I trust him way more than I trust or like him accept or want to hang on to that thing. But if all of a sudden there's a struggle going on, see God's invitation still echoes in our hearts. Turn. Jesus is still calling us. Come home. Repentance means we realign our lives with what matters most. It's running toward Jesus. It's recognition that there's this mounting sense of holy discontent in our souls that says, I'm not satisfied with what I am now. 
because I want to be more like Jesus. And I can see I'm not like him. And I'm going to push, do everything I can, and strive to be like him. I'm going to answer his call, his that invitation that keeps echoing in my heart, turn and come home. See, repentance stops pointing fingers at other people and starts looking at me. It says, starts seeing my brokenness. And, and it sees where I need to turn to Jesus. And where I need to love more like he loves. And where I need to speak more like he speaks. And where I need think like he thinks. Repentance sings not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. It's not the preacher, not the board member, but it's me, oh Lord. Not my father, not my mother, but it's me, oh Lord. It's not the stranger, not my neighbor, but it's me, oh Lord. It's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. So repentance prays like this. King Jesus, it's not those sinners out there living like the devil. And it's not the church people in here doing things I don't agree with. But it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of change and repair and repentance. I need to turn towards you. Open my ears to hear your invitation. Open my eyes to see my next turn toward home. God's invitation still echoes in our hearts. Turn and come home. Turn and come home. Now each of us, as we hear his invitation, faces a decision to turn or not to turn. That's the question. How will you respond? Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. We need you to work in our lives. We want to grow up. We want maturity. We want to grow up in the, in the fullness of Jesus' limitless love. We're, we're, we're tired of cleaning up. We know you aren't asking us to try harder. You're asking us simply to give our lives to you wholeheartedly. We want to live our lives in you. We want to be built up in you. We want to be strengthened in you. Thank you. Lord, thank you for meeting us where 
Thank you for working with us where we are. Come, Holy Spirit. Awaken our hearts and our spirits and our minds to the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In his name we pray. made a new commitment to Jesus, if Jesus spoke to you to turn in some way, shape, or form, and you want to share it with someone, I'll be online, or you just want to do it this way, you can message the church through Facebook, uh, you can email me, pastormarkhames at gmail.com, or you can talk to me. Pastor Aaron, follow the service. We'll be glad to talk to you if you're on site. I want to thank you for connecting uh, with us online and on site, either way. And I want to encourage you to remember Jesus sends us as God sent him to seek and save his missing children. We are sent. Let's go in the love and power of the Holy Spirit. We are sent. Go with Jesus. Amen.